one and we're live. You're tuning to Cosmic Children. I'm your host, Kevin. Today, I have a very interesting guy in the studio with me. I have Elias with me. Elias, for those who do not know who you are yeah. or might not have heard you before, could you please introduce yourself? My mother thinks I'm very interesting. Okay. Um, and other than that, I do voiceovers. I am the brand director for a gym called Field Assembly. We do... You know, strength and conditioning, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai, and yoga. And I also have a video production company uh, that are that, that's currently being run by my two business partners, Dan and Elliot. Field Assembly is um, is, is co-run by a very brilliant man named Jean Leong. And I also do a bunch of other things as well. I yeah. Take, take photos. I like, I like art. I like design. I like music. Evidently, you're a man of many pursuits. So yes, let's start with the voiceover. I find yeah. that to be particularly interesting because when I conceive of like the media landscape and the media pipeline, voiceovers is not something perhaps conventionally one might want to pursue. Yeah. So what got you started in that particular line of work? I think I was, so when I was young, I was kind of shy and I would try to, and I'm, I'm a small guy, right? I'm quite okay. short. Uh, I'm like one five eight. You have CM. a booming voice though. Yeah. I, so, mean. <laughs> I mean, that was the way that I compensated as a teenager for, for my lack of size, okay. I would try to sound more manly. Okay. And, and over time, my voice just got deeper and deeper. I got used to speaking in this way. And somebody told me, hey, you should consider doing voiceovers. And I, you know, I, I had an intention to study mass comm. So I, I went into that world and there were people who were familiar with how media worked. Yep. And so I was thankful enough that there were some opportunities presented to me. So they were like, hey, you should try voiceovers. It pays, you know, decently for the amount of time that you work. And uh, and I figured early on it was it was it was a good thing to work on because it would allow me to pursue other things in the day because yep. I work for you know two hours and then after that is like I can you know fuck off and make some music or yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Did it come naturally to you, or at the start was there like particular speed bumps you had to overcome? Was it anything at all like you imagined it to be? For sure, man. I mean, okay, so when, when I was younger, I used to like to do impressions and accents and different okay. accents and stuff like that because I watched a lot of TV. Uh, but then actually doing voiceover professionally, uh, there were a lot of speed bumps because you get nervous. I'm not a natural performer. So like it was <laughs> the, the first few, I mean, the first few sessions were, were really painful, man, because yeah. I, I was so nervous in the booth. Yep. And they were, here were these like clients from M1 with the agency there. And they were like, hey, like, okay, so just sound as natural as you can. <laughs> And the first thing I did was to go into, what if you cried those manly tears? And, I was like, and, and, and they were like, no, no, no. Can you like kind of like speak as yourself? Yeah. And just getting used to receiving direction was something to get used to. Getting over the nerves of, you know, performing in front of people and knowing that there's a big ad budget yeah, yeah. behind this one hour that they've booked you for yeah. and stuff like that. Just getting used to that was 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 some things like some speed bumps in the how 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 do you take let's say the client um how do you take in their feedback and how do you add your own spin to it because I would imagine uh yes you can do different voices and you can impersonate different things but ultimately you have your own personality you might want to have your own creative spin on it sure is that sure. important in let's say commercial voiceovers and stuff like that uh I. I don't think so. I mean, the way I've always seen it is that I am a tool being used. <laughs> Massive tool. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to, you kind of have to get rid of that sense of like, you know, pride behind okay. how you do it and stuff like that. Because as a voiceover artist, you're, you're just one part of a, of a very big chain. And then as you know, when you're doing like 
creative work for a client or in a corporate setting, you're 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 helping somebody else fulfill their mm. their visions and dreams and things like that. Uh, and that's with everything. And voiceover is such a small part. So very quickly, I realized that you know I'm a tool. I just need to know what they want and then learn as I go how to give them what they want. When they say when they say they want something young and and chirpy, you know. What does that mean? It's like it's like lingo. Like no, I mean it's tone of voice. So like age is is a very good way to to decide what direction you take. So if you're doing if you're doing something mature like Discovery Channel, then you you put on a voice like this. And it's, you know, and you kind of, and the accent is kind of somber and stuff like that. When it's, when it's young, you're kind of speaking like this all the time. And, and it's just knowing kind of what people generally accept as an archetype for something young and chirpy or sound a bit more mature and authoritative because it's a bank ad and stuff like that. So you learn that as you go. And then you just, you get better at doing those things and kind of servicing the client in the mm. way that they want to be served. Yeah. So there's no, there's no sense of like, oh, I, I, I'll put my creative spin on uh, things and stuff like that. So but every now and then you have a breakthrough because what do you of mean by that? you just learn how to do it better. You know, you learn how to act because voice doing voiceovers is essentially it's acting mm. and uh, acting is a craft. Yep. So it takes you a while to kind of like figure it out if you don't have any formal training and stuff like that. Would yeah. Let's say your 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 experience with voice acting would it lead you to or has it led you to do other projects perhaps like for animation or perhaps even acting as you said theater or something like that would it lead you to that? Uh, I've always been very curious about acting, but it hasn't been something I've actively pursued because mm. I'm not a natural performer. But the craft of it is so interesting. So I listen to a lot of podcasts or like interviews with with very serious actors and. You know, people who talk about, you know, doing method acting and all yep. sorts of other, other things. And I think as with any craft, there's like, it's um, it's very commendable uh, to to see when somebody takes it seriously and they break it down into specific methods of doing it and stuff like that. So that's always fascinated me. Uh, and in, it's fascinated me enough to like be open to the idea of taking acting classes and stuff like that, just for the experience. I've never actually acted in anything because, I, okay. I, again, I'm not a natural performer, man. <laughs> you keep saying that, but <laughs> within like three minutes of you saying that, we're already doing this. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I just like, I've always been a bit of a nerd. When okay. I was in secondary school, I was just like locked in my room playing guitar or watching movies. And then when I got to, to poly as well, I yeah. was the only time I stepped out of my room was to s- smoke a cigarette. <laughs> and then I was like making music yeah. and, you know, fucking around with, with Photoshop and stuff. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So I'm a I like staying in indoors. Wonderful. I I liked staying indoors back then, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So with regards to let's say acting per se, what and perhaps the the stuff that you consume, what do you particularly enjoy consuming? Films? Okay. Or or things in general? Yeah. Is that okay? In general, yeah. Okay, okay. Um I like I like documentaries a lot. Um and podcasts as well. Anything that allows me to dive into a world that is fascinating. So like, for example, if I'm, I've recently been on a music kick again because I found myself um, more in control of my time. Mm-hmm. So I've returned to messing around with music production and stuff like that. And whenever I get into something or get back into something, I want to dive into the world of it. So podcasts are a great way to do it. I listen to Broken Record, which is oh. a, a podcast by Rick Rubin. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. And then also music documentaries. So just watch like a Coachella documentary. Uh, I was like digging around for a Warp Records documentary as well. I couldn't really find one. But yeah, generally everything that I consume is a way for me to... I'm just looking for things 
looking for a way to dive into something and be fully immersed in the world of that thing. So podcasts, documentaries, films as well. And it kind of inspires you to to perhaps uh, illuminate what you want to pursue next or yeah. what, what does it do for you? I think I just, again, I, I, I like being immersed in things. I like finding out about like process and craft and, and, and stories that led people to do certain things and all that. Not with, I don't consume it with a, a very purposeful intention of leading to something, yep. but it generally does because I think, like, as with you probably, like, um, you know, any, anytime you, you find something that makes you feel alive and you mm-hmm. can continually kind of like just be in it, it gives you a reason to just keep going and it's it's a very natural and beautiful way to live your life. So, it's, you know, it's it's like that. Like, anything that allows me to, to be in something, that's that's what I like. Has this um, particular view of philosophy always been with you, or did you, or was there like a sh- particular shift that you remember? Well, I think naturally that's what I've always been like. But uh, I think as you as you kind of come into adulthood, you learn that discipline is important, so you can't hopefully, always yeah. just go in. Your, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hope, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you. I, I think a lot of people figure out that you can't just always do what you want all the time, you know. So that's so I actually had to like suppress it for a mm, little bit, mm. um, and then because I was a really bad student up until I was uh, doing my O levels, mm. I failed everything up until four months before my O levels, except for English. Okay, but everything else I failed, and then then I was like, shit, man! Like, if I don't do well for my O levels, I won't have choices when I leave yep. secondary school. Yep. So I was like, let me just try to figure this out, and. It, Eventually, I did did pretty okay. I got, I got like, I got A's for a Whoa. lot of things that I failed because <laughs> I locked myself in my room yeah. and started and just tried to figure out like how to how to do well in these exams. Yeah, now. yeah, and that was kind of the the time that I learned like the discipline of doing something you didn't want to do. Yeah, and then going from there, it was just constantly balancing like pursuing all the things that made you feel alive, and then kind of like going, okay, let's we need to put that aside for a bit. You need to work on something, you know, you need to study, you need to, you know, do client work or whatever. Mm-mm. So it's balancing the two. And then I think in our 20s, we're constantly trying to build our careers and yeah. all that, right? So what happened for me was I got really sucked into it and I was working continuously all the time. So I was on the radio. I was yep. also I started a video production company. I was also doing voiceovers. And I was also trying to train Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So of course, everything. Yeah. yeah, I was just doing everything. And then I started burning out. Like, you know, I like burnt out a few times. My relationships were suffering. I, mm. I think one of the things that I went through was like, I, I, in order to be okay with being that busy, I had to shut off my emotions. Gotcha. And I started being like, I was a bit of a dick. Mr. Stoic? Not Mr. Stoic. Not, not Mr. Stoic. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Stoics have a better moral compass <laughs> than I did. Yeah. And then... I, I reached a point where I was like, you know, like there's no point in life if if the only thing you're doing is to try to keep all these work things yeah. afloat. And yep. so now I've returned to just uh, embracing things that I enjoy and I feel my relationships have improved and my my personal kind of like motivations have improved and stuff like so that. So you yeah. kind of had to take a step back and take a macro look at things and perhaps choose what you value more? Is it something sure. like that? Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. Because I was always worried that I wouldn't have enough money 
when I was in mm. my twenties because mm. I watched my parents kind of lose everything during the first. Um, I mean, during the uh, Asian financial crisis in twenty oh eight. No, that was. Uh, 1999. Oh, okay, okay. Eight, 97 and 90, between 97 and 99. Look, yeah. I watched because my, my dad had like, you know, a sports car. He had a, a real estate agency yeah. and my mom was doing well in her job. Yeah. And then right before the recession hit, my mom was like, let's have another kid. I'm going to quit my job and join, you know, my, my dad's company. She joined my dad's company yeah. and, and then the recession hit and boom, we lost everything. And, when my, when my brother was born, okay, so when I was in primary school, my dad was driving me to school. Like, yep. he would drop me off at school or take the school bus or whatever. And, uh, but when my brother was born post-recession, it, uh, you know, for contrast, my dad was cycling. He was, like, on riding oh, a bicycle wow. with my brother sitting at the back. Yeah. Yeah, that was the, that was what, you know, my family situa- situation was like post-recession. And so that kind of, like, always stuck in my mind. Yep. I was like, you can lose everything. At any moment, yep. you know what? So, so in my twenties, it was all about trying to figure out how to make enough money so I don't have to worry about it, mm. you know. And then, yeah, what was the question? I forgot. Sorry, I go on. I go on like these <laughs> rants. <laughs> what was the question? I forgot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I get. I guess. Okay. So in my twenties, I kind of like focused on my career and like made try. You know, made prudent financial decisions, saved money, yep. that kind of thing. So that's kind of allowed me to to recalibrate lot and. In my 30s, go like, okay, I'm 31, by the way. Yeah. Take a break. <laughs> <laughs> First year into my 30s. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, you know what? Like, like, don't act like somebody's chasing you all the time. Like, because nobody's chasing you. Yeah. Nothing, nothing's going to fall. But, but did, did you have to actively uh, perhaps overcome that mental image of uh, what you, what you experienced with regards to your family's financial situation and everything like that? You have to actively like change that. Yeah, I think I I still kind of have to like deal with it now. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the worst ways to live is to live, um, in in a way that's like dictated by fear. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Like, and I think a lot of people kind of fall victim to this. Well, not really victim, love. I mean, it's it's a thing that 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 um shapes people's actions and motivations. It's always mm. fear. What if we can't pay the mortgage? Or what if you know, what if Xiaoming doesn't do well in school? <laughs> you know, <laughs> metaphorical Xiaoming. Metaphorical okay, yeah. Xiaoming, yes. Do yeah. you think do you think that's like the voice of pragmatism? Because we're Singaporeans. Yeah, yeah. Growing oh, up sure, here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they always say that Singapore's pretty pragmatic. And yeah. those are really I won't say rational, but pragmatic fears. Yeah. Like what if you can't pay for this? Yeah. What if you don't do this? That happens. How do you um balance that i think that's that's really the key yeah i think i think balance is super important i think fear is uh is a very good evolutionary function to ensure that we don't let anything bad happen to us but i think the thing about emotions is that it can be it's in a space of irrationality as well mm-hmm. so i think it's always good to to use fear as a signal for something a but then, signal. yeah so it's like it's 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 something that points you in a direction to look at it you're like oh pay attention to that and then but then I think what's important to come after that is kind of a, a very clear examination of what that situation is. So do I need to continue being fearful and then act yep. out of fear? Or is it something that I, I can control and kind of like, and control it calmly? And ultimately, I think that helps you improve the quality of your life. Mm. And, it's, it's, and it's hard to figure all of that out. Exactly. I think yeah. it takes a long time to figure that out. It takes a lot of like, you got to really think about it and... You got to be number one, very self-involved. 
to really figure that out. What does self-involvement mean? You just constantly think about yourself, like me, 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 me all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. With regards to that, I mean, culturally speaking, I mean, these days, it is very focused on the self. But to, to what you just mentioned, I think, could it be an external focus versus an internal focus? Or what do you mean by self-involvement in that particular sense? Because you can always be thinking about yourself for sure, but it could be fulfillment of external needs or perhaps a more in- inner work. I think, they, I think they call it inner work. So what are your thoughts on that? Like this self-involvement thing, what was the, do you remember any like breakwater moment that you realized that, hey, perhaps I can use my fears as like a signal? Because for someone who might not be aware or might not have heard of something as you said it could be a little bit complicated or yeah. even out of this world yeah, what yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because naturally we're programmed to perhaps run away from fear sure. i mean there's yeah. fight flight and perhaps freeze yeah sure yeah 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 uh, i think okay so i think ultimately what we're, we're talking about is being able to like kind of hit pause in moments of chaos take a step back and take stock of things uh and that's a very useful skill to have in in your life and it takes is, is, I mean, life experience is the only thing that will really give you kind of like good lessons in that mm. respect. You know, it's it would be arrogant of me to say that, oh, you just got to do it. And I figured it out really quickly because I didn't. I, I, I think very few people do. Uh, but your question was about breakthroughs. Like, was there a watershed moment? Yep. Uh, doing voiceovers and being on radio okay. taught me that you can kind of change your emotional state. Because the thing about being on radio is every time you turn on the mic, you got to be the same person. Oh, you have to be the you same person. You have to be person. the same person. Interesting. It's different from like being a podcast, uh, uh, running a podcast yeah. or being a DJ like Howard Stern, for example, where mm-hmm. he's himself. But even then, he's kind of, you know, he's a brand. Yeah. So he plays into that brand and character. But when you're on radio, you're a tool. <laughs> Just like being a voiceover artist, yeah. right? You, you're serving a function. So you have to be emotionally consistent. So that, the discipline of that made me realize that, oh shit, like, you know, there's a there's a space into your brain that, that you can tap into as an actor or as a mm. radio DJ or whatever, right? And uh, it and ba- that basically is the act of taking a step back, rearranging your emotions, and for the space and time that you, you need to be emotionally consistent, you can be, right? So that really gave me a lot of control over kind of like the way I felt. And it, it helped me a lot, like, because... Sometimes you feel sorry for yourself. Sometimes you feel lazy. Yes, sometimes you definitely. feel angry. It's normal. Yeah. yeah. So all these things like are very natural, but then if you let it consume you too much, it can be not good for you. Like, it, it doesn't serve the quality of your life well, and it robs your life of meaning. If mm. You're constantly being pulled by yep. anger and sadness and all these things. So that was one of the watershed moments. Like learning how to kind of take a step back and go, like, oh, I actually can rearrange the way I feel about this. Just for this moment. And it's useful when you have a really important problem to solve or you're in an emotional crisis, for example, you really like, it allows you to be in touch with yourself or be in touch with, you know, feelings that are important Mm. in dealing with with other people in dealing with yourself and all these things. So that was one watershed moment. Jiu-Jitsu also really helped because you're like, when you're sparring, like, I'm sure the same for a lot of like extreme sports or combat sports or even sports in general. Yep. You, things happen so quickly and you just have to learn how to be calm and clear in the face of chaos. Calm and clear when someone's trying to step on you and trying to get get a leverage on you. <laughs> yeah, when somebody's choking you or, mm. you know, like somebody's like mounted on your chest. Yeah, yeah. And you're being squeezed and yeah. stuff like that. And then you just learn how to be calm in that moment. 
and uh, and the more you do it, like the more you get used to discomfort and chaos and stuff like that. I hear my friends compare jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu, to like a like a chess match. Would you agree? Like like a physical chess match? Yeah, yeah. Would you agree to that particular? definition? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a definition that's been around for a long time uh, because it's quite cerebral. Okay. Because the, the art of jujitsu, like it takes you, you know, like an average of nine to twelve years to get your black belt. Sounds about nine to twelve. Is is that like a like a speeded up version, or is that just the average length? It's the average length because generally. You get promoted based on how well you do when you're sparring, mm. N- not necessarily based on the fact that you know how to do a couple of moves. Ah, gotcha. gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's you. You got to know how to those do those moves, and then when you're sparring with people of a higher belt level or same belt level, mm. you need to do those moves well, and you need to execute them successfully and stuff like that. So they'll be grading you on that. And stuff. Yeah. Well, they're kind of watching how you're doing, and then some guys will go and compete, and if they win their belt level at their weight class and they're constantly winning mm. this category, then the coach would be like, oh, actually, you, you're ready for your next belt. Mm. And that's generally how it happens, right? So because the whole process of progress is so stringent and it takes so long, the art of jiu-jitsu is so complex because the arena in which it's developed has so many different kind of like nodes of possibilities. Gotcha. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's just like in, like if you have a city that's filled with very talented musicians, Mm -hmm. the level just gets higher and higher and higher. Hopefully, yeah. (laughs) Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like a lot of like now, like new jazz musicians are coming out of South London because there's a culture of that. Mm. Or like a lot of innovation came out of Silicon Valley, you know, during one period of time. And it's kind of like that in jujitsu, like you're forced to prove yourself and you're going out to compete and everybody's really good. You're always getting your ass kicked. And then it's all about getting better and not getting your ass kicked. So that, that um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's basically a very active pool of people constantly testing themselves and improving. And, and um, what was the question? <laughs> and I guess you kind of have to be open to, to I guess, mm. first failing. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be open to failure a lot and you have yeah. to be open to I think letting the ego down, isn't it? Like yeah. Getting your ass kicked is quite uh it could be quite confronting to someone who might have a perception of himself or herself that he's of this other level, he yeah. really shouldn't lose to this perhaps this newcomer or stuff like that. For sure, for sure. I think I think uh you definitely have to have an e- healthy a, a healthy ego to come back and and, and keep getting your ass kicked over because over. <laughs> it's going to happen it, and it, it will happen for like as a white belt yeah. you don't do anything good for like maybe the first like six months is white belt like the basic that's the basic the entry the basic level. okay yeah, the entry level, yeah. gotcha I would like so, to talk about uh, just touch on your time in radio because sure. uh, on previous podcasts I've spoke to people who I think talked about Lush like the station one of the stations you were on and they were talking about how monumental it was for I guess the Singapore music scene I would like to get your experience and I guess your personal take on it being in it uh, commanding it doing it for the amount of time you were doing it as well as the aftermath of it yeah uh, just to clear it up I wasn't commanding anything I okay. was just I, they was given, I was lucky enough to be in a prime time slot okay yeah and then I when they brought me on, there was nobody kind of doing the creative stuff. And I had some graphic design <laughs> inclinations. Nowhere near what, you know, you guys do. Mm. But um, 
but I just had had an idea of what was good and and you know I knew what I liked. I read a lot of creative review mm. back in the day. So I ended up doing like brand management for them as well. Gotcha. Yeah, so those those were the two things that I did. It was great, man. I mean, you know, it was it was really fun. We were kind of talking to people who were kind of like-minded and if mm. they weren't like-minded, they were at least kind of like open and then and you could it felt like there was a synergy kind of like going through you know the the group of people who listened to Lush and and we got to play music that we liked mm. not always but you know but we got to play like Portishead and Flying Lotus mm. Jamie XX and all these guys and it was great yeah i really enjoyed it i really really enjoyed it do you foresee so so now that it's not around anymore do you foresee perhaps uh someone occupying that space because the means of production right now in 2020 going to 2021 is significantly lower i mean it doesn't take much to 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 set up something like that i mean the gear you can get it second hand youtube is perhaps a new university you can learn things from so do you foresee uh, a need for 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 like a platform like that uh i think it's it's always good like if there's like um for lack of a better term like power structures right if power mm-hmm. structures exist so for a long time radio and media corp these were like power structures yep. and it's always good when a power structure acknowledges uh like a niche mm-hmm. because it makes it more visible overall it shapes people's impressions or increases like this sense of credibility about a scene yep. or whatever a type of music and stuff yep. like that and it's not the most important thing but it's helpful it's at least a little bit helpful so I think that was the value that Lush kind of brought because MediaCorp was like, oh, you know, we think this Singaporean band is cool. Let's play them on radio. Let's play, you know, let's let's support Laneway, yeah, bring them yeah. on as we sponsor them yep. and stuff like that. Uh, so that was, I think that was kind of like at least symbolically helpful in some way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the be all and end all. Yep. At the end of the day, it's the creators and the, gig organizers that really make the difference right uh moving forward the creators and the gig organizers like you said now have access to the means of production as well and you have all these fans who are really talented and some of them are ambitious enough to be like i'm gonna start my own podcast i'm gonna start my own you know like my own um gig series Mm. and moving forward i think it's it's uh it's gonna be super exciting so because if we look at the history of of media production Going back to the Gutenberg Press, mm-hmm. the moment Whoa, okay. the moment you kind of like you give access to to more people, the means of production, things really flourish, things really explode, and so I'm you know I'm really excited, really optimistic. I think I think everything's like super exciting now. You what know? what do you think would would make one stand out in not even the the far future, but within perhaps a year or two? What do you think will make an individual stand out? Where let's say everyone is able to 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 produce things, everyone is able to produce. Everybody's sharing on the same platform. There is a level playing field of sorts. But what will make one stand out? That, that's hard to say, man. I okay. I think the old principles. Okay, no, no, no. The traditional importance of branding mm. is still relevant. What What would you define as branding? Um, just like having having some type of like personality that will resonate with the audience that you want to speak to or that you end up speaking to. Mm. 
So that's I think I think that's one of the simplest ways to kind of define brand. So I think the importance of brand still is important, but what goes into that brand is will always be in flux moving forward. I think people will value authenticity at some points for some artists. Other people will value more of a more mystique from some artists. Yep. You know, and, th- and that's, that's what we're seeing now. So like. Some artists are constantly kind of like on Instagram live yep, and yep. revealing their lives. And there are other people who are way more mysterious, but maybe sell the same amount of records or command the same like performance fees and stuff like that. And I think that's what's beautiful moving forward is that there's going to be a way for, I mean, there there already is a way and this will continue. There's a way for all types of artists to reach all types of audiences. But it's not, I think people are not going to stand out in the same way that they used to. There's not going to be like a handful of superstars anymore. So it's not going to be a celebrity. Is that yeah. what you mean? I mean, there are going to be many celebrities, but they're not going to be like many Beyonce's, I think. There will be a Beyonce, <laughs> but it won't be like last time where like, you know, I don't know. Like Michael Jackson. Gotcha. Okay. Untouchable. Well, like untouchable. Untouchable. Okay. okay. I think moving forward, there's going to be a lot of a, a lot of people that, that fans look up to, but nobody's going to be as untouchable as Michael Jackson. And, but that's okay, you know. I think Michael Jackson will get fucking cancelled today. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I guess <laughs> to that point, yeah, everyone's kind of like a minor celebrity, you know. And when everyone's that, technically, no one is a celebrity. Everyone mm. is. It, it cancels each everything out. Sure, yeah. sure. But I think, I think, there's no value in popularity or celebrity other than the fact that it allows you to reach more people. You know what I mean? Like just because you're you're popular, like there's no inherent value in that. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And yep. I'm not yep. putting it down. I'm not putting celebrities or famous people down. I'm just It's a like, byproduct. It yeah. So moving forward, because everyone is popular, it just means there are more people with the ability to reach more people. And I think uh, that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. You know and I guess I mean? ultimately what what you're saying and I guess the message would be important then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, are, the, are you doing something that, 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 that means something to other people? Mm. I think that's the most important thing. What, yeah. what would your take be or your perspective be on authenticity? And how, because we live in a world where, or we live in a society right now, it, everything's digital. It is easier and it's getting a lot easier to just copy, put it out as your own to to rip someone else's work, pass it off as your own, make money from it. What is your perspective? Is what is your perspective on authenticity in, in that sense? I think at the end of the day, it's really about what you value. So if you're a creator, you're an artist. It, it depends on what you value. If you want to make a living, and you find that kind of like sampling somebody or biting somebody, or or just following the same style wholesale and making money off that and your only intention is to make a living, then I think it's fine. Okay. You know, as long as you're not doing anything that's hurting other people or you're not stealing from somebody in a way that really hurts that person, yeah, then I think it's okay. Um, but if your intention as an artist is to do something wholly original, uh, but you're stealing from somebody else and you don't realize that, I think mm. it's that self-awareness ultimately may stop you from reaching your highest potential. The lack of self-awareness, rather will stop you from reaching your highest potential, truly finding your own voice. You but that's what, what a struggle is, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think everybody's on their own journey, you know what I mean? And at the end of the day, 
like in a thousand years, nobody is going to remember who you are. Definitely. Regardless of what yeah. you did. Yeah. Nobody's going to remember Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> in a thousand years, like nobody's going to know who like Kanye West is or Mondran or, yeah, yeah. you know, Kane and Undertaker from WWE. <laughs> so as long as they were happy doing what they did and found meaning in their lives and kind of like maybe didn't hurt or help people along the way. They, they helped people along the way. Whatever, man, you know. But, but yeah. such a macro perspective could either be paralyzing or could, it could be seen as nihilistic. Sure, because, sure. I mean, if if you look at it from that far of a lens, then, and you're really that insignificant in a sense, yeah. then whatever you do don't matter. Yeah. But it seems as mm-hmm. though you are looking at it from a very, like, yes, nothing else matters. That's why it gives me, like, the, 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 the ability to just produce as I want. A- am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah, that's correct, man. I think... I think I think if you worry too much about what other people think, you worry too much about am I going to be significant and all these things. Like it can, like you said, be paralyzing, and it takes you away from really being in touch with what it is that makes you feel alive and makes you happy. And this may not be true for everybody, love. This mm. is true for myself. And yeah, going back to that, yeah. what makes you feel alive? Could you please define that in in your from, from your own perspective a little? Uh, it's always kind of changed. Yeah. Um, you know. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is something that makes me feel immersed. Mm. And and from that, I really learned that I like to be in states of like almost complete surrender. Interesting. So I got into surfing for a little bit. We would go up to Desaru and surf. Yeah. I'm shit at it, but <laughs> managed to catch a few waves and yeah. then managed to understand the magic of why people like it. Uh, so in the physical realm, it's that type of thing. Like I like running. I started running recently. Mm. never liked running before that but I, I locked into something that was good uh, but those kind of like rushes are not sustainable mm. they don't last I, I haven't figured out why yet it's like a high and low thing yeah okay. like I mean it's, it's it's high but you can't there's a finite amount of energy you can use for those things so then in the long periods where you need to rest and then you're like oh shit what do I occupy myself with mm-hmm. now so other than physical pursuits I've also realized over time that I like just like creating things. I like being inspired by something. Like even looking at a t-shirt going, oh shit, like that's a really cool t-shirt. Maybe like I can put my own spin on something like that. Or I can, that feeling that I got when I looked at it, mm. I can try to recreate ah. recreate the feeling. Not necessarily the same thing, yep. but like recreate the feeling of it. So like, I guess um, being able to just be inspired by something and then kind of recreate the feeling of what I was inspired by, whether it's music, uh, whether it's like film or photos or design stuff like that those are the things that make me feel immersed in the moment i forget myself i'm just like so obsessed with like oh shit maybe i can do this maybe i can do that you know what was the last let's say creative or pursuit that you you did that, that made you feel that way uh so i've been working on music like quite a bit yeah before okay before circuit breaker happened i think like i know a lot of people are saying this but i think i got covid or, or okay. I was I was I was convinced like <laughs> so in December yeah. there was a a news article that came out that I sent to all my friends I was like the the headline said something like mysterious strain of pneumonia emerges okay. from China okay and I was so sick okay at the time yep my lungs felt heavy I couldn't breathe um like walking walking like five meters like really tired all the out. symptoms yeah basically all the symptoms like yeah, yeah. and then I was like oh what the fuck I'm, I'm I better stay in. Uh, and then, so I locked myself in and, and then I got really, really bored 
the downloaded Need for Speed on the PlayStation <laughs> just to replace the rush of Jiu-Jitsu, yeah. right? And then that got boring after a while. Yeah. Then I was like, maybe, maybe I'll start like watching documentaries. And then I started watching music documentaries. I was like, maybe I should like revisit messing around with music again. Yeah. Yeah. Long story short, like I managed to, you know, put out like just like sketch out a few tracks mm-hmm. and and uh, recently syndicate the music audiovisual collective. Yeah. They put out a a compilation of lockdown projects mm-hmm. and and they featured one of those tracks on that. So it's quite to answer your question, I was quite satisfied with that. That was the last thing last thing that I did. That came out I think last week. Mm, wow. Okay. And uh and I was like, fuck man, like I really enjoyed doing that. Maybe I should work on another track. So for the last couple of days, I've actually been working on a on on a song. And it's yep. been like just like living and breathing this song constantly. Yeah. What has your history been with music? And I like to ask this question to, I guess, music producers and people in music. What do you see internally when you listen to it? Because music is it's not an actual thing per se. You can't touch it. But different people when they hear it. Some of them might have synesthesia, they see colors. What do you see? Or how do you interpret what music is? Uh, I think as with any creative pursuit, like it's creating an experience. Like when you're watching a movie is an experience mm-hmm. and the measure of a director is how good of an experience that director can craft. And I think it's the same with a songwriter or a musician. Uh, you know, does 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 that experience resonate with you first as a creator? And then also for the people who might potentially want to listen to this style of mm. of art or music or whatever, I, I think what it is it's it's an experience essentially. That's that's what I that's how I feel about it. Mm. It never always was like that. I kind of always wanted to just do something that was within the concept of something that I liked. Within the concept, yeah. So like, if I listen to Massive Attack, for example. Mm. I was like, oh, I'm going to follow all the things that Massive Attack does. And I was happy to do that. But after a while, I realized it's a very self-involved thing if you do it like that. And I think at the end of the day, art is about empathy, right? Like you're thinking about things, like how people might be experiencing something mm-hmm. that you're creating. Yep. And, and that's been really fun for me. So that's how I see it. How is somebody else going to experience this? Can I create an experience that may be interesting for the person or enjoyable or yep. emotional or whatever? But that's, I would say that 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 level of thinking or that mode of thinking is where pure copying someone would fall flat. You will copy someone to that particular uh, extent, and there needs to be that that portion where you would want your own personal artistic take on it. Which for you is the immersion. You want to create that same experience. Which I think there's a common thread. Like you like to be immersed in things. That's why through the things you create, you will want people to be immersed in them. As yeah, well. yeah, 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 yeah. I should talk to you more. You just help me <laughs> make sense of myself. <laughs> I'll be with the yeah. invoice later. <laughs> so, how, how, what was the transition like for you? Because um, with regards to voice voiceovers, with regards to being on radio, to field assembly, how, how was that transition like for you? Uh, I'm never aware of things when they're happening. I just know, I just need to know, like, I I mean, I just know what I need to do next. But, okay, so I I, I guess this would have to go back to university. Mm. So I went to, I was like, I was never a good student, right? (laughs) I I went to uh, normal academic, did sec five, Mm. went to poly after that. Mm. 
went to the army and then came out. But then I got into NTU, which Whoa. was a big deal for somebody who was not a good student. Right? Okay. But I, I worked hard, got into NTU. Did, so the whole course was four years. Yep. I did three years. And then I had to do my internship. Mm. And I was already on Lush at the time. So I was in uni. Vanessa Fernandez was kind enough to go like, hey, you want to try subbing for Roz mm. on the five o'clock shift? And I'm like, okay, sure, I'll do it. And then she was like, hey, you want a job? I was like, yeah, yeah. year two. Then year three came time to do my internship. I was like, hey, can you say this is an internship? And then MediaCorp was like, okay, yeah, we can. So I did my internship at Lush. Mm-hmm. And then I had to go back to school in year four. Yep. Before that, I had started a video production company mm-hmm. because I realized it was something I could like just kind of do to make a living and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then I started getting a lot of work in video production on top of getting a lot of hosting gigs in radio. So when it came time to year four, I was like, maybe I don't want to go back. Yeah. So I told the school, I told my parents, I was like, hey, I'm going to take a break. <laughs> I'm still on a break. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Seven years later, I, n- I never went back to school. Okay. But during this time, I was like, I was just juggling everything. Yeah. I was constantly like doing many things at once. Yeah. And so the transitions from things never w- was clear because it was always just like, you do three things, you let go of one thing, you take on another one. So yeah, it's always like three, four things at a time. Yeah, yeah. So transitions weren't very clear to me. Yeah. But the the common thread, I would say, is that they all generally involve some kind of creative exercise, some kind of creative input. And I, like, I'm by no means good at it or great at it. Mm. I just enjoy doing creative things. So that's, that was how I just jumped from thing to thing. So following I'm, creative energy. I'm, I'm particularly curious about the name Field Assembly because... Um, it is a gym, first and foremost, yeah? Um, when I... F- when, I w- when I look at the name and, 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 and I look at the, the, the website and the aesthetics that you guys have, I think it stands out. Particularly one thing because the name doesn't... It isn't a... It isn't like the name Field Assembly isn't really a sign of like conventional strength to me. It doesn't say... Uh, it doesn't have like... It doesn't... How would I say it? It doesn't... Isn't a very like strong, demanding name to it, like most gyms have. So, what went into the the, the process of coming out with this, and I guess the, the entire look and feel of the gym? I think we wanted to make uh, fitness kind of accessible in a way that was that was kind of aspirational, but not in a conventional sense. So, when you mm. think of aspirational imaging or branding in in fitness, it's usually somebody who's really muscular. Yes, it's somebody who's really fit. And it's like, you know, person's shiny <laughs> and the gym is shiny and everybody's shiny. Yeah. But, um, but, but there were, there were other ways to kind of portray something that was aspirational. Uh, and so we tried to look at different brands who were doing that in sports and in lifestyle and stuff like that. A lot of surf brands have very nice aspirational marketing that's not, um, you know, that's not too like show off. Yeah. Let me show you the muscles yeah. that I have. Yeah. <laughs> There was a cycling brand called, uh, there is a cycling brand called Rafa. Mm-hmm. When they first kind of hit the scene, it was super interesting because it was very nice artistic black and white photos or not not just black and white photos, but there was a character to the photos. So that was something that inspired the, the feel of it. At the end of the day, what we tried to do was to make fitness seem like uh, a choice of self-actualization or something that made you happy or something that added added some satisfaction or meaning into your life. And that was what we tried to convey. 
How would you describe the personality of your assembly? Ah, oh, man, it's it's really changed yeah. over time with you know the staff with the with the members that come in. We get a good mix of people. Mm. At the end of the day, I think what is what has been consistent is that there it really is a community feel to it. So we've tried to create points of convention. In we have, we have two outlets. In both outlets, we try to really like create spaces where people can just sit and talk at the end of it. Oh wow! Wow. Okay. okay. Yeah. So between That's sessions, cool. after sessions, that kind of thing, and uh, the, the 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 through line personality is that it's a it's a space where people feel at ease. Mm. Just trying to like put some effort into themselves without having to feel ashamed that they're not quite where they need to be yet, or anything like that. Yeah. 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 It's it's a friendly environment. So yeah. with regards to let's say aspirations and with regards to community, as you've said, what what are some of the patterns or what are some of the people you've seen coming in or perhaps leaving or perhaps choosing to stay? What what are some of the patterns that you've noticed? I think it's generally people who are well, people who stay are generally people who 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 are looking for a, a place to make connections. To, to like find friendships mm. with with people and to have conversations like the one we're having right now mm. a, a lot of our members have become really good friends with us and really good friends with each other and yep. we have like very deep meaningful conversations not because we're trying trying to be deep or anything mm. like that we just end up you know sitting 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 down for six hours over over a couple of beers just talking about things that make us happy and, <laughs> yeah, stuff like that like, yeah yeah that's it- that's pretty much it, actually. I mean, obviously, the types of people who come through our doors will change, but the people who stay are people who are quite interesting, I would say. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I have an interesting story about the name of Field Assembly, by the way. Please. If you want to hear it. Continue. So Field Assembly is the second life of a gym. The first life, the first iteration of this gym was called Grit. Yep. And it was a very small gym. Um, it was like relatively i wouldn't say rundown but it's like bare bones Mm -hmm. i felt had a feeling of a garage gym like a small garage gym uh my business partner gene was running it for a couple of years and he was doing a really good job uh and then he needed to take it to kind of a more accessible level that's where i came in more accessible level okay why was there a need to 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 take it to more accessible i think i think he started to realize that everybody was Everybody was kind of doing this macho thing. Even Every, the name Grit. Even the name Grit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then one thing we also realized is that like, if you have a name like Grit, mm. another fitness property might want that name. What, what do you so, mean by so that? So you have like a big big fitness brand, for example. Yep. If Let's say they want to call one of their hit classes like Grit so they gotcha, can trademark it. Gotcha, they might gotcha. want that name and because they have a lot of money behind them. And it's just the way you do business though, yep. when you're a big business, right? You'd be like, oh, we want that name. So they can they could kind of like go after you with it. Just mess you up, though, basically. Yeah, basically that. So we're looking for something that, that wasn't so macho, first of all. And then something that was a bit more vague. Mm. You know what I mean? And if you look at trademark laws and stuff like that, very you need to be very specific with things that you trademark. So we we wanted to find something that we that wouldn't leave us liable to our name getting stolen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's basically, that's the story behind Field Assembly. Would there, was there a lot of pushback when uh, you two first conceived of the name, like people didn't know what it was, people 
misconceiving field assembly as perhaps like a camping equipment thing. Sure, yeah. yeah. But, but that was also part of it. I mean, we wanted... We were kind of like really getting into outdoorsy things because I was becoming a lot freer mm. in terms of time. Yep. And that's when we started surfing and started taking trips to Malaysia, road trips to Malaysia and stuff yep. like that, camping and all yep. these things. So Field Assembly is definitely influenced by that. Uh, and we definitely received some pushback. Like, oh, what does that mean? Like, why? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. But as you know, like, it doesn't matter, right? Like, what does tell your children mean? Tell your children is, is the, per- <laughs> the personality that yeah. you fill it with, yeah. you know? And that's... That's what we knew was going to happen, though. We just like, we just kept doing what we we're doing, serving our, our members, uh, making people feel welcome. And over time, people just were like, "Oh yeah, feel assembly." You what know? about the, the the business aspect of running a gym? Because I would imagine there is no, like, class or school that teaches you to run a gym. I mean, the gym is a very unconventional business to run. It it, it runs a lot different from how you will run a cafe, perhaps how you will run like a video production house. So, what are some of the perhaps like the insights or the lessons you've learned throughout the course or your journey of running this particular business with your partner? So my business partner, Gene, he's the ops guy. I operations. Take yeah, operations, okay. yeah. Uh, and, and he's generally like on the floor management. He balances the books and stuff like that. I do the fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do the creative, creative branding, customer experience, yeah. that type of thing. Uh, customer experience. Well, yeah, we, we, think about, we think about customer experience a lot. Obviously... We're not a big box gym. What is a big box? Big gym? box gym is like I don't know, like uh, Fitness First, for example. So it's like a lot of outlets. Yeah, a lot of outlets, or like Virgin Active, where you gotcha. have like, you know, two thousand square feet of space. It's like, would you consider like the template aspect of it to be one of the the features of a big box gym? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, when you have basically you have a lot of money behind you, mm. and you you have a, a concept that you templatize and you copy and paste it, yep. which is like. To me, amazing. Like, I'm not dissing it in any way. It's just, but we don't have the, the same resources yep. to to create that kind of experience. So what we have, we hire our friends and ah, okay, okay. and things like that. But what we try to do is, as much as possible, create a consistent experience for everybody. But the way it manifests is going to be different. Uh, if you compare us to a big box gym, because our friends' personalities are going to come through and stuff like that. So we, I mean, we, so we generally think about when you walk in, What's the first thing you get greeted with? Mm-mm. All the coaches have to like remember everyone's names. Everyone knows each other by first name basis. So mm. these are all things that we we think about, and also how you respond to queries online, to like even the sales experience when you upgrade yourself from the trial membership to the to a standard membership where you end up paying more. Yep. We want to make sure that we're not hard selling you and really giving you as much value as possible. So you do the you do one month unlimited. For ninety nine dollars, mm-hmm. the next package that you buy is a standard package, but we shave off like thirty percent because we oh. don't want to make you feel like we're trying to like cheat you into yeah, yeah, yeah. into this. And and then at every juncture, there's like this loyalty discount and stuff like that. <laughs> so we really think about at every juncture, we want you to feel like we we're like very genuine about mm. you joining the 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 community of Field Assembly rather than. How some other gyms might do it, like they, not knocking how they do it, but we just when we think about customer experience, these are all the things we we consider. Yeah. So with the people that you collaborate collaborate with, have you said, um, do they add to let's say the vision you have in mind, or do you guys work out like a creative vision for this particular aspect that you guys are collaborating with? How how does it work? It's 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 always a team effort, man, and I think. Um, 
one of the strategies that we employ is to really like groom leaders, mm. and it's it's. Uh, I th- I think the teams always work better when you have leaders that take ownership of what they do and they want to be there, and they really take pride in all of that. So, uh, Gene, my business partner, he's he's really done a great job of counseling the guys that have been kind of talent spotted in that way. Interesting. And he he like he meets up with them every week, man, and has you know 30 minute conversations with them about how's how's everything going for you and like he really he's really um very dedicated in that respect but but this particular inner frame of how you would run a gym doesn't firstly doesn't sound like a conventional gym you would run which is really cool how how do you um deal with like the the aspects of leadership that perhaps you might have to 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 lead this particular aspect like the creative aspect yeah I'm quite lucky at Field Assembly because they they give me like enough space to just do oh. my own thing and I don't really have to convince them too much on on how things should be done. Uh but at the end of the day, I also want their personalities to to be reflected in things that they're more involved with. So generally, I think we appeal to a lot of girls. Mm. But then sometimes when we do jiu-jitsu seminars, um maybe our hit coach fixes a deal with somebody to come down mm. and stuff like that. The event t-shirt that we make for it is a bit more in the personality of our head coach. Oh, that's interesting. You know what I mean? So so he can kind of feel like he can take pride in that yeah. and like let people know, you know, oh yeah, I got this thing coming up. It's kind of like old punk rock days or <laughs> come to my gig and yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. And and funnily enough, our head coach used to be a bassist in a punk band that was like quite famous in Singapore. Mm. He's gonna kill me but I can't remember their name now. <laughs> You mentioned that the, the the audience that you attract is, is girls. Is there a particular reason for that? What 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 is that? What do you think is the aspect of, of field assembly that is particularly attractive to uh, females wanting to to join the gym? So when you think of girls in fitness, like what's the first thing you think of? Lululemon. And a lot of people who wear Lululemon they end up in yoga, yoga classes yeah. or they do spin and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. It's all great things, right? Um, I think for a long time, there was a barrier between kind of like, uh, not just fem- the female audience, but like, there was always a barrier when it came to weightlifting. People mm. were a bit intimidated by it. Mm. Did you have to be a certain strength, at a certain strength already to start weightlifting and stuff like that? So what we realized was, you know, we wanted to bring kind of like strength training, real athletic strength training that you would do give to Usain Bolt, for example, mm. or Mike Tyson. And- yep. Uh, what can we do to have them not be intimidated, intimidated by quality strength training? So that was that was um, one of the considerations going into it. Like we showed people who didn't look very strong to begin with. Mm. We showed girls who looked very normal, lifting weights, doing yeah. you know deadlifting hundred kilos and stuff. Oh, like wow! That. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the intention was was to to have our training feel accessible to people. And, you know, using people who are not conventionally athletic was was a big part of that. And I think it resonated with the female audience we ended up attracting. And, yeah, if you walk into our gym now, it's like in any one class, it's 70% girls. Interesting. And they're all, like, happy to do their first pull-up or breaking new deadlift PRs and stuff like that. My girlfriend super into yoga mm. before, mm. but always had, like, shoulder problems and stuff like that. And she started doing deadlifts, squats, and, and rows, which really help your back, mm-hmm. your lats, mm-hmm. and supports your shoulders and all yeah. that. Shoulder problems went away, man. 
Interesting. Yeah, and then she got into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Now she's fucking strong. <laughs> Everybody's she, like, holy shit, Dawn, why are you so strong? Can she make you tap? Can, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she can. Yeah. yeah she, she's good. She's good. Yeah. Interesting. So one of the, the aspects of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that I heard is that size doesn't really matter as much. It's not like a conventional, uh, let's say, physical sport. So let's say boxing, like the weight class, and I guess the physicality matters to a certain degree. But with jujitsu, I think it's the technique. Like someone of a smaller stature, if he or she knows that the proper ways to do it can definitely take on uh, someone of a bigger stature who might not know what they're doing. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, that would be true. I think, okay, the, the technique is so complex and the ways in which like you can find your path to physical dominance is so complex that if you don't know jiu-jitsu, you won't know what's happening and you're going to get sucked deeper and deeper into the position that the, the guy or girl can put you in. But with all things being equal, let's say like two people are of equal skill, mm. the stronger guy, the bigger guy will win. So that's I, I think that's the nuance in, yep. in that. Yeah. Um, but I guess I, I guess the good thing about jiu-jitsu is because it's so complex, like we talked about in the beginning, you can find other paths in. If let's say you're losing on the strength front, you can always iterate and reiterate and reiterate until you find your way. In. Is there always a way out? There's always a way out, but there's whether, always yeah, a whether way. or not you're like you're 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 good enough at finding the way out, that's something that you have to work on. Mm. Even if you take some time off and you come back. Something takes a while to get your groove back again, uh, and it's 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 just something you you have to put in work. Tula, it's like a jiu-jitsu is like a is a jealous mistress. <laughs> so you don't if you don't if you don't give it your time, yeah, attention and, and attention and and dedication, it's it doesn't give you a reward back. You know, like, how much of a let's say on average, how much of a, a time commitment are we talking about? Even let's say for yourself. Um, I'd say on average, like if I'm, if I'm in a good place schedule wise, it's three, four times a week. Oh, wow. It's about three, four times a week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if I can, I do it every day. Interesting. Like if I have the energy to do it, I do it every day. Yeah. I have friends who, who do it every day. Is it as, let's say, demanding or like, de- de- let's say demanding physically as let's say Muay Thai or even boxing it's- compared to Jiu-Jitsu? I'd say it's demanding in different ways because you have different energy systems, right? Like, Mm-mm. like a like a, a a runner may not be able to lift like uh, you know three hundred kilos off the ground. Yeah, yeah. And a t- the guy who can lift three hundred kilos off the ground cannot <laughs> yeah, <definitely>. run. <laughs> so it's like different energy systems. But I would say is like it's generally overall you do feel like as tired. Yeah, I can't imagine you'd be fucking tired. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's quite tiring, like, It's quite tiring. We first because you're you're constantly tensing and mm. you're fighting against somebody else. But over time, the better you get at it, the fitter you get, and also the more efficient you get at making sure you don't you don't have to use too much energy to get what you want. Yeah. Do you remember your first spar? I don't remember my first spar, but I remember my first session. What's what's the difference? As in, uh, like my first, the first person I sparred with, I don't remember who that was, Mm-mm. but I remember the first, like going to a jiu-jitsu class for the first time. Uh, could, okay, could could you just take me back? Sure. Because I'm I'm particularly curious about your own journey. Yeah. Because when I look at, 
uh, your, your Instagram, look at Field Assembly, there is this aspect, as we talked about, as overall aspect of like mental well-being and transformation, like each individual's journey, which led me to the question of, I'm particularly curious about your, your own physical journey and how, how, how that is. Uh, when I was, I was never athletic, played a bit of rugby, okay. but I was never good at it. I ended up getting put on the, the B team. Bench warmers. As a scrum half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then that was that was like primary school, man. In secondary school, like I got really into music. Yep. I was like playing bands and stuff like that. Uh and skateboarding. Mm. So I wasn't super athletic. In poly, everything stopped. Like I, d- I didn't do I didn't do any exercise, no skateboarding, nothing. I was like he- heavy smoker. Gotcha. Uh and then I remember I think I was at a gig or I was in a club or something ridiculous like that. And I remember just getting shoved aside by somebody who was like walking through the crowd. Okay. And I remember like losing my balance. <laughs> so a really small guy, right? And back yeah. then I was really skinny and unfit. And yeah. then this guy like just shoves me. I was like, whoa. <laughs> and it, I felt like, uh, you know, the inflatable uh, dancing man. Oh, yeah, yeah. In front of gas stations. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck. Like, how do I stop that from happening? So mm. I started looking at like how bodybuilders like lift the weights and stuff like that so i just started got like a small dumbbell that I borrowed from a friend gotcha whose brother was an army captain and then he had weights lying around so he lent it to me i just started going like just like lifting weights brainlessly like. brainlessly <laughs> yeah but i started to really fall in love with it because i was like there's some reward there's progress you can so, like, track f- um reward or physical rewards that you can see like. yeah yeah, okay. yeah i mean you feel yourself getting better and I think the brain needs that progress, that sense yep. of increasing accomplishment. Yep. And so I found that enjoyable. And then, then I went to the army, and you know the army, you don't have a choice. You have to. Like, <laughs> but then I realized I was quite fit when mm. I got into the army. Like, like my two point four timing was was quite okay. I, I started like enjoying exercise and and all that. And then after BMT, they put us out to command school, mm. and command school they really push you to get yep. to get gold. Yep. Yeah, and then I got injured after that. Uh, it then sounds I, like the army story I'm familiar with. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got injured as well? Me and a lot of people, they usually do very well for athletic. Then somewhere along the lines, they will get injured in army. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, because you really push yourself. You yeah. know how hard you can push yourself. So yeah. you take more risks yeah. and stuff like that. What so, happened to you? Um, I dislocated my shoulder. Oh, shit. Oh, that's happened to me. That happened to me last year, actually. Oh. In doing jiu-jitsu, yeah. So, so what, what came after the army for you? Because more for, for, for a lot of people that I've interacted with, they are at peak physical condition in the army. Mm. But what comes after, yeah, and yeah. with life and work and everything else, there tends to be a drop. And usually quite a drastic drop. And yeah. when they try to pick it back up again, there's, there could be a lot of resistance. Physical, mental, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So what, what came after the army for you? Um, okay, so after I got injured in the army, they posted me to the training development branch okay. in OCS. So there's basically an office uh, that was in charge of like running the syllabus of all the officer gotcha. cadets. And I had a lot of free time. So I was lucky enough, after I did my physio and all that, and I, my back was okay again, um, I started just using the gym. So I kept my fitness going, mm. uh, even after I got put out of course. And then when I ORD'd, I kept my fitness going still. And I was like, I want to try, try new things uh, with fitness and all that. So I joined an MMA gym with the intention of trying MMA. 
specifically. MMA like uh, specifically like Muay Thai boxing or is it all round? It's all round. So gotcha. Like you know, like the like what you see in the UFC. Yeah. I was like, I want to do UFC. <laughs> <laughs> that is a timeline I would love to visit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I tried everything. I tried Muay Thai boxing, um, wrestling. Ooh. Yeah. And uh, and then eventually Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And the thing about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is you get to spar hundred percent. Unlike boxing, you got to pull your punches. What do you mean by hundred percent in that context? Okay, so if you're 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 sparring in boxing, you don't want to hurt your training partner too much. Fair enough. Because it's not a real fight, and yep. you're saving each other for the real fight, so yep. you don't want to hurt each other. So you like you kind of not really punch that hard. You're not really punching that fast. Uh, but in jujitsu, because it's only grappling, you can go hundred percent up until the point where like you're about to break the guy's arm, and then you just. Like, you just don't break the guy's arm. You hold it in the position where it's almost there. And then the guy will tap out. Mm-mm. If the guy's a good sport, he will tap but, out. But what takes, yeah. that takes experience to know your limits, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you kind of learn along the way. Like. But w- how you learn really quickly is somebody else does it to you. You're like, <laughs> oh shit. This is what it feels like. This yeah. is how bad it can get. Yeah, yeah. And the guy was merciful to me. Mm. And you're like, oh shit. Okay, this is... But you have to learn... You have to, okay. Firstly, you have to learn from uh, your mistakes and fucking up. Secondly, yeah. you have to learn in the moment when someone is doing it, exerting a certain amount of pressure on you, right? Yeah, yeah, not yeah, yeah. exactly the most conducive ways to learn. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you you pick it up really quickly because you're like you get so close to this part that your brain really fears, which is like about to pass out or about to break my arm, and then you know when you get to that state the level of awareness is so high. <laughs> it's like when you jump out, when you're going down a roller coaster, suddenly you're like, oh, I'm aware of everything. It's a big brain moment. <laughs> yeah, it's a big brain. You know that, that moment where Keanu Reeves, you know, gets unplugged from the Matrix. Oh. He was like, oh, whoa, I know Kung Fu. Yeah. Like, it's that feeling of like, oh shit, this is what near death or severe injury feels like. Yeah. And then you become very aware of it. Like. There's some people who take longer to learn and you kind of have to, the coaches have to tell them like, oh, actually like, be careful. Yeah. When you're, you're rolling, you know, when you're pulling an arm bar, like, don't crank it too hard, mm. you know. And then they generally, they, they understand very quickly. Yeah. Would you recommend, mm. uh, let's say, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to individuals to, to try if, if they have, if they've seen it before and they might be interested but might not be perhaps in excellent physical condition, yeah. perhaps might not be constantly running because yeah, yeah. the, you, you spoke of this intimidation, which... I can imagine if going to like a gym where everyone's sparring Muay Thai and doing Muay Thai could be a little bit intimidating if you are not perhaps in that particular lifestyle. Because I think the lifestyle do play a part and that could turn people off from the whole thing entirely. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think if 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 it's something you're curious about, just like go try it once. Like, okay. You know, just 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 try it out and and, and, and see. It yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just see what you get out of it. You know what I mean? There's like, and I think there's a lot of valuable kind of uh, insights that you can get out of putting yourself in a situation that you're so fearful of. Mm. You know what I mean? And the thing about jujitsu is that it's it's very controlled. If you go to a good gym, the instructors are very careful. They don't pair you with somebody who's like crazy, who's rough. Yeah. You know, if you're new there, they generally pair you with somebody who can teach you, who's more experienced, who's a nice guy can kind of guide you through it show you some things that kind of thing uh or even if you end up you know in a really dingy place where everybody's just like crazy <laughs> if you break your arm you go to the hospital and like, oh that's that's what that's what it feels like to break my arm but then you'll be okay after that 
I think just if you're curious about it, just try it, you know, and then see what you get out of it. But even with uh, the the injuries that you have, you are still uh, open to 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 doing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like think about something that you really love to do. Like, what's something that you like that you really enjoy? Sleeping. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> when 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 there's the time to yeah. yeah. Okay. Are you, so you do a lot of graphic design. I'm assuming. I just draw a lot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. So if if one day you you got a paper cut. <laughs> And it's the worst paper cut you've ever had in your okay. life. You can't stop my, my, my fingers, my finger comes off. Your yeah. finger comes off. Yeah. But then somebody says like, oh, if you just let it heal, you can reattach your finger and you might be able to continue drawing again because you love it. You're going to keep continuing. You're, 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 gonna, you're not going to stop drawing. Yeah. And that's what Jiu-Jitsu is like. Because you love it, you find a way, you, you, you know, let's say, okay, so I dislocated my shoulder. Straight away, I was like, oh, shit. What happens now? I had friends who dislocated the shoulder. They, they they gave me a whole list of things you can do. <laughs> go to a physio, yeah. physiotherapist, go get it checked. Yeah. And then here's the rehab exercises. Yeah. And in no time, you'll come back. Because I was just thinking about jiu all the time because I loved it. Mm. I was like, okay, I'm going to come back. Come back safely. Think about how to do it safely. But I really want to continue doing it. Yeah, But it just, I mean, okay, so going back. To if you feel if you're curious about jujitsu, try it, see what you get out of it. The fact that like it's one of the fastest growing sports or mm. interests in the world means that there's something enjoyable about it. So if you have an inclination towards it, try it. And if you really like it, Merry Christmas because it's it's one thing to really feel excited about. You know, mm. I mean it's one more thing in your life that you can feel excited mm. about. So I would say just approach it like that, Lo. What if you were to look back at I guess your journey with uh, BJJ and I guess fitness in general? What is one thing that it has taught you? It's taught me a lot of things, man. Yeah, it's taught me a lot of things. I mean, okay, the usual cliches about like learning to deal with failure, kind of like putting your ego aside, being calm in chaos. That's like super important in jujitsu. Uh. But I think it really taught me kind of like the value of the value of humanity. <laughs> Whoa, I was not expecting that. No, because I mean, mean okay, that? so if you're in a situation where everybody's trying to like beat each other up all the time, mm. you don't imagine that people end up being very good friends after they try to beat each other up. Fair enough. But actually, but everybody gets really close like doing jujitsu together and obviously you can get into the neuroscience of it there's a lot of evidence about how that happens but at the end of the day you i think you really value what's real mm. about human connection it's not about posturing it's not about what this guy can do for you it's not about how you can sell yourself to this this person it's really about you know let's let's try to have a conversation as two people yep and and then see if we can kind of sync up and stuff like that. Wouldn't that run in contrast with how, I guess, society is today? Society today does put a, like a stronger emphasis on posturing, does put a stronger emphasis on the way you present yourself, the way you sell yourself. These are all very trending uh, things in society today. And I guess they are indicative markers of success to a certain degree. So, so when you look at that, doesn't it feel a bit uh, removed from... Uh, the, the general mainstream uh, views of, of, I guess, things like that. I would say, yeah, like the internet and social media does encourage that type of 
uh, that type of disposition and behavior mm. from people. And I think it's very normal and natural. The reason why a lot of people take to it is because it's a means of survival. And then once you pass survival, it allows you to thrive. But I think it's important if you're somebody like me, and 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 you, I'm sure as well, like you value meaning beyond just like material accumulation and progress in work and all these other things, then it's it's important to not have that rule your life. Mm-hmm. So like posturing ultimately helps your reputation, right? And then the thing about reputation is that it's good for business. So it's not it's not a bad thing to remind people of what you can do mm. because it helps you in business. But I think where it generally can be unenjoyable for yourself is if you become so obsessed with your reputation of like, oh, people have to know that I've done this and that yeah. and, you know, I've, yeah, I've worked with this brand and that brand and, and all these things. Because I think your brain also needs more than that. Mm. Like, okay, not to get too dry, but I've been like doing a bit of uh, research <laughs> in the field of psychology. Gotcha. I did a Coursera course <laughs> by the University of uh, of Pennsylvania. Yeah. One of the godfathers of, of the field of positive psychology, basically teaching people how to thrive. Like, and positive psychology. Positive psychology, okay. yeah. And it's, it's not what it sounds like. It's not about being positive. Mm-hmm. It's it's about finding like a scientific basis behind what allows human beings to thrive and be happy. Mm. Right? It's not about adopting a positive mindset. It's looking at how you can find meaningful things in your life that make you feel satisfied. And uh, accomplishment is one of those things. Mm. But meaning is also one of those things. So the tenets are PERMA, right? Purpose Emotions, emotional experiences. <laughs> He's cycling through so, no, 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 right no. positive, positive emotions, yeah. relationships, mm. meaning, and accomplishment. So these these are all things that you need. Oh no, sorry, I missed out experience. Yeah. Mm. So P E R M A. If anybody wants to look this up. Gotcha. So accomplishment is one of those things that helps you to feel good about your life and yeah. yourself, gives you hope and stuff like that. Uh, but relationships is in there. You know, positive experiences is in there. Yeah. Positive emotions are in there. Meaning is in there. So it's about this balance of finding everything, you know. So going back to your point about how people are so obsessed with reputation and posturing these days, I think the downside to that is that we can end up being very unhappy mm-hmm. because we're just so focused on trying to get people to recognize us, yep. to validate us as 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 valuable individuals yeah because of how things are kind of set up now with instagram and, yep. and stuff like that there's yep. nothing wrong with these things it's just that sometimes we as human beings we find something that makes us feel good and we just latch on to it Mm-mm-mm. and not all roads lead down sustainable paths as you like with drugs and alcohol and, yep. and all these other things right i think the need for validation is very intoxicating or receiving validation is very intoxicating, but then it's not sustainable because there's more to life. There's more that your brain wants. I think intoxicating is a very interesting word to use mm. because let's say with, let's just touch on a new media, which is like social media and stuff like that. I always felt like it's a, it's definitely like a social experiment that we will probably find out the, the results of perhaps five years down the road. So 
with regards to field assembly and being in the gym business and stuff like that, there seems to be like a trend of people wanting to be, I guess, more... Work is a very, very bad word for it. Being more in touch with, uh, I guess, their personal well-being, being more physically active, being more mentally active to a certain degree. Do you think that... And there's also this trend of uh, toxic positivity, which... Is it, 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 it could be like the over the overindulgence of wanting to be positive, wanting to frame your life to have everything perfect, which is, that's what you said, not wrong, but perhaps there's a, there's, there's a lack of balance. How do you grapple with the, the perhaps the aspects of positivity, pos- positivity and negativity in your own experience or in your own life? I think positivity and negativity are just like the surface kind of like labels that we can give to states of mind. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I think real sustainable positivity has a lot of meaning behind it. Real sustainable negativity has a lot of meaning behind it. So negativity is useful to help you identify how things can go wrong Mm. and identify what are the the consequences that you should be preparing yourself for. Uh, That's ultimately the real value of it. The real value of positivity is the belief that you can find a way out of most situations that you're mm-hmm. in. And and I think the balance with all of that is the balance with all of that is is to to accept that not everything is gonna go really well mm. and not everything is gonna go really badly. Mm-hmm. It's just about what you do to get yourself out of it, how you can rearrange things, how you can take yourself out of like loops that you find yourself stuck in and you know at least try to to pave your way out yep. by speaking to people who know more about it or re- doing research or just being honest with yourself sometimes we we end up getting stuck somewhere because we tell ourselves a certain story yep. that I have to be this and I have to be that but then I don't want to do that anymore but I my reputation depends on it yeah or, yeah you know it's just all these things and I think so it's not about positivity or negativity it's about it's about finding kind of like finding yourself right mm-hmm. as a good foundation for how to navigate life in a way that gives you meaning it's it sounds damn well to say this but <laughs> that's what it is you know what i mean yeah. it's not about these labels that we definitely and it's not about these like heuristics that we see on social media and, and things like that it's just remember you are you are an individual existing at the end of the day, mostly on your own terms, you know, and there's nothing you have to do. Hmm? So was this a class you took in uni? Or no. <laughs> what, what informed your... So assuming that whatever you just said is unconventional, assuming what informed your personal philosophy and what informed or what influenced your, your particular perspective when, when it comes to viewing things like this? Honestly, I really don't know. Wonderful. <laughs> I, 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 I really don't know. I, no, I just, at various junctures, realized that a lot of things, like something that I get really excited about, and I think like, oh, the rest of my life is going to be filled with this excitement because as long as I keep doing this, after all, you realize that excitement kind of dies. You plateaus and it drops. You get bored yeah. and it drops. And you go through these cycles of like mm. euphoria and then like, yep. it's a dip of like, oh, everything's meaningless. Yep. And like, the more times you go through that cycle, you're like, oh shit, like, why does this keep happening? You know, like it's like, I don't want to live the rest of my life like this. Yep. And I, I don't want to speak for other people, but then, you know, this, I, I feel like these are the types of cycles that can lead you down paths 
that you can't pull yourself out of. Mm. Maybe you consider suicide. Like all these types of things, you know what I mean? And at the end of the day, what I realized for myself, again, I'm not speaking for anyone else, but what I realized for myself is that I allowed myself to create meaning, put a lot of value in that meaning. And then after that, once the the meaning kind of disappears, I'm like, oh shit, what happened? I'm Mm -hmm. empty now. And it led me to just kind of feel like things in general like any meaning that you feel you have is fleeting Mm -hmm. and there's no inherent meaning to life this is my personal view yeah and you're going to you're going to be born and then you're going to die Mm -hmm. and whatever else whatever happens in between there's no like story there's no grand narrative or anything like that it's just what you is what you do so it's like personal agency ultimately yes yeah I mean but Personal agency is a very controversial thing to say because a lot of people are like, oh, what about people who can't, yep. who don't have the privilege that you have and all these things. And I can't speak for those people, mm-hmm. but I can speak for myself. And I know that at the, at the end of the day, everything is meaningless, like mm-hmm. we talked about, for me. Okay, everything's meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> and you just have to figure out what's important to you and, and what keeps you going. I would like to touch on the, the two P's that I guess uh, is very trendy these days. Purpose and passion. Sure. How how do you conceptualize these two terms and how do you, uh, I guess, internalize it and just manifest these two particular terms? Because to me, they seem like trendy buzzwords that people like to slap on as like a marketing term for to, to sell a particular product, to sure. sell a particular culture. Yeah. Like, these two things are, to me, quite exploited, especially in society today, because it, it's a signal something else. Yeah. But yeah. it might not necessarily be what it truly is. Yeah. I think the the concept of purpose or the buzzword of purpose has been disseminated through society via like self help resources, right? And, and, and nothing like I don't say self help in any way that's weighted. Mm. Like self help is just. It is what Somebody it is. wrote a book like, with yeah. some advice. That's it. You know what I mean? Some yeah. of it's really useful, some of it's not. But purpose is disseminated through the world of self-help. The most receptive audience with self-help are people who are feeling a bit lost. Yep. And they and and I and I think self-help then gives them something to be excited about. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes them feel like, oh, there's a way out. This is the thing to the way out. And purpose is one of those things where they go like, oh shit, like, yeah, yeah, pursue purpose because that's going to help me find my way out. But I think it's very hard to understand what purpose is. It's uh, kind of nebulous if, if, if someone yeah. to tell you what is, your, someone to ask you today, what is your purpose? If it's not something that you've actually thought about, you yeah, wouldn't yeah. really know my job. I yeah. mean, that's usually the the, 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 the signal answer when, when someone asks you what's your purpose, what do you do? What do you do is, is another question that yeah. depending on how much inner work or self-work you've done, yeah. I think your answer might, might, might vary as well. Yeah. Uh, it's for some, you know, like some cliches in the world of discussing purpose is like, oh, my family gives me purpose and stuff like that. Yep. But for some people with families, like I, I know guys who hate their families. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, so your son and your wife must give you a lot of purpose. And then like, this was a conversation that I just had yeah. last month. It was yeah. like, no, Le, I just want to, <laughs> I just want to be jolly. <laughs> So that's literally what he said. But. Yeah. So I think uh, the concept of finding your purpose is, is actually very important. But I think what's 
what's important is to to understand that purpose is a journey. Purpose is a neurological phenomena. Mm. It's something that happens in your brain that makes you feel like there's meaning to your actions. And it's going to differ from person to person. Mm. I think one of the mistakes that that I've made, that I feel like a lot of my peers have made as well, is you get into a state of crisis and then you look for that one thing to quote the great Imran on YouTube. <laughs> that w- You look for that one thing that kind of like pulls you out of that hole. Mm-hmm. And then you think the rest of your life is going to be aided by this one thing. And I think life will prove to you that everything is always in flux and the, the source of your purpose is going to change. But we do know from a neuroscientific perspective that in normal, normal functioning brains, the experience of being able to help people and being able to give care to other people and also being grateful for kind of your situation and things like that, we know that in the brain, mm. it's actually healthy when you have little things that, that give you those experiences. So gratitude. So as cliche as it sounds, right? Yeah. Like the some of the, the brain labs in Stanford University have found that gratitude is one of the most um, reliable ways for you to refresh how you're feeling. Mm. I love how paradoxical it sounds. It does, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's super paradoxical. But, but it makes a lot of sense because in, okay, in other fields of psychology, they say that your, your memories generally make up your identity. Yeah, or the story you tell yourself. Yeah. yeah. So if you, if you think about all the things that you, you, all the reasons why, all the memories that you have that you can be grateful for, I think that kind of shapes an identity that's that feels better. Mm. You know what I mean? At the yeah. end of the day. What was the question? <laughs> Purpose and uh, passion. Oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. So okay, to sum things up, purpose will always be in flux. It's not a it's not a magic pill that you can take that will kind of shape your life. But an orientation towards purpose is important. Orientation towards purpose. Yeah, as an understanding that like you must feel purposeful to yourself mm-hmm. is important because you cannot be. I think you won't. Most people won't be happy just being a drone. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, like surrendering to somebody else's purpose or yep. other people's purpose. Yep. You have to understand that you might one day want to pursue your own purpose as well. So constantly think about what that might be, and I think that might might be a better way to live life, lah. I think. Yeah. So under, understand that it's complicated. It's a journey. <laughs> and prepare yourself for the how complicated that process can be mm. in case it is. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it will be. Because if you, if you try to oversimplify it and go like, yeah, if I just do this, everything will be fine. You might be setting yourself up for disappointment. But that's... That, that, that seeking of that one, one solution that might help you for the rest of your life kind of speaks to how we we want things to be fast these days. Mm. It kind of speaks to how we we just want things to be immediate. There's an immediacy to the things we want. And I guess in a way, our phones don't really help. The way we, we approach technology doesn't help. There is an immediacy. But what you're saying is that this needs time. <laughs> this is not like a, it's not like any one question. It's not like any one person can help you. Because if any one person that can help you with that, I mean, that kind of leads you down to paths or let's say religion, to cults and all that other stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think 
it 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 it's a very complicated process. I think I think the the acknowledgement that life is potentially pointless or meaningless is a good starting point, or it was a good starting point for me. Yep. Because you, I think, if you think that there is a there is some inherent meaning to life, you expect to be given some kind of starter kit for the various <laughs> junctures junctures of your life, or things are supposed to be going this way, yep. and and then you your brain gets orientated towards this this place is like not sustainable, uh, mm. you know, like oh, I didn't get the promotion, or why didn't I? I thought I'd be married by now, yep. or I thought it'd be. You know, like in this position in life by now and stuff like that. When you don't have to have all of those things, you can be just as happy, you know. I think it's like it's super important to just dissect everything that you value, you know. Mm. Like so let's let's go to passion, right? So people talk about passion and people say just live your life by passion and do things that you're passionate about. And I think that's I, I do think finding something that you really enjoy, like I have with things that I can immerse yep. myself with, that's really important in life because it gives you a, a, the sense of something to look forward to. Yep. And I think that's that's a very powerful thing Mm-mm. for any individual because yep. it gets you out of funks if you're in a funk. You know, if It gets you to a place where you feel good about yourself and then maybe if your family needs you to be there for them, if you feel good about yourself, you can be there for them. If you don't, it's you're, you you show up less. Mm. So I think all these things are super important. But I think passion is too much of a blanket term as well, just like positive and negative, yep. positivity and negativity and 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 purpose as well. I think passion is just one thing. Uh, and again, there's no one thing that will help you. There's fi- no one constant thing, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it always changes yeah, yeah. and expect it to change. So I was watching this documentary about Daft Punk. Okay. Right? Yeah. Not, like, I, it's not really my thing. The music's not really my thing, but I, I love just watching how artists kind of, like, you know, get to where they are and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. When they first started out, they were very, like, kind of like, oh, we, you know, we'll do our own thing. We're not going to show our face and no collaborations. Like, Janet Jackson was, like, knocking on their door. Mm, wow. When they were kids, they were, like, 21 or something oh, like shit. that. And everybody wanted to work with them and they were like, no, no, no collaborations. And I was telling this story to Dawn, okay. my girlfriend, and and uh, and she was like, oh, that sounds so annoying. You know, like, like such like self-indulgent artists. And I was like, okay, so that's the thing, right? Like they're actually not, they weren't self-indulgent artists because they knew that there were all these other ways for them to make money. Mm-hmm. They were very aware. They were very business savvy because one of them, their dad's, had been in the music business before. So he was very good at working out their deals and all that. So it rubbed off on them and they were like, I can make money like DJing and touring and then our records are selling quite well and then we can compose for other people commercially. But under Daft Punk, like we do our own thing. So so like this whole thing of like, we are going to protect the artistic integrity of Daft Punk was something that they could do because they were very cognizant of all the other ways mm-hmm. that they could kind of keep their careers going yep. and keep making their art. Yep. And I think that's like a, that's a good example of how it's not just one thing. If you really value the thing you're passionate about, you also kind of owe it to yourself to be able to, to support it. So you have to structure everything else around it to make sure that this particular thing, that if you feel high integrity about, you want it to be this way, 
you have to put in the work to structure everything else so that it, it feeds into it. Yeah, exactly. Because if you go broke, then... <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Yeah, yeah. you got to work double shift at McDonald's. Yep. You won't have time to actually like yep. do the thing you're passionate about. So it's like a balance of everything. But I think one thing that Singaporeans are very good at is figuring that out, you know. So I've, I know friends who like left their corporate jobs to mm. pursue, like for lack of a better word, their passions, mm. floral, floral floral arrangements and pottery and stuff like Amazing. that. And, but they all turn those things into solid businesses that are profitable that may not fully replace their previous income at the start, yep. but it's like they're not losing money. But that's where the reframing of what that conventional success or the conventional lifestyle would mean yeah, when they're yeah. on the transit, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's an important thing that is missing from education in general. Um, I think just understanding, maybe, maybe just understanding like finances, how to how to save money, how to, <laughs> how to allocate money to things. Yeah. And or having a basic understanding of running a small business. Mm. Because at the end of the day, if you want to pursue your passion and if you can't do it as part of like a big company and say like LucasArts, yep. you're, you're very passionate about yep. VFX, you yep. join LucasArts, but you can't do that. Maybe you're a visual artist, you like to paint, right? There's no big company you can join to help you pursue your passion. You kind of have to treat yourself as a, as a business, you know? Mm. And if you, and so it's super useful for, for anyone who's like, who wants to pursue their passion to so at least understand how they can make it financially sustainable. Yeah. Like if you look at Jeff Koons, mm -hmm. Jeff Koons, like when he made one of his first big exhibitions, he had to fund it and he didn't have any money to fund it. You know what? Do you know what he did? No. He learned to be a, a Wall Street broker. Because that was, <laughs> Brilliant. The, that was the fastest way he could yeah. make the money that was needed. And he yep. did it for six months. He was like, okay, I'm done with this. <laughs> And then he took that money and then he and he you know he put it into his uh, his project. Uh, but but that kind of yeah. goes back to what we said. Like he perhaps he feels really really true about what he wants to do, which is creating art, and he he found a way to do it. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think passion is important, uh, but I think we just shouldn't forget that like you have to find a way to support that passion as well. Yeah, and then and over time, the passion may be able to support itself if you do it right if you're mm. smart about it or something like that. I'm, I'm no expert at doing this, but I feel like when we talk about passion, that's a very important part of the, the conversation. Yeah. yeah. So um, in closing, I have, I have, okay, in closing, I have these two questions. I personally believe in the concept of new levels, new devils. Yeah. So I'm just pers personally curious to know what is one thing that you might have been struggling or facing recently that you perhaps might still be struggling or might have overcome? That might not have been faced perhaps let's say a decade ago or like five years ago yeah it's hard man i mean i feel like i'm struggling all the time it's hard to describe that even though like i'm also doing a lot of things that i really enjoy mm. i constantly f also feel like i'm struggling and i'm like i i always ask myself why i feel this way like why does it always feel like like uh like i always feel like the sky is gonna fall <laughs> for some reason <laughs> And maybe it's because my parents, you know, yep. lost the business and stuff like that. And this year does, didn't help? And this year didn't. Well, it was, it was okay. It was okay. okay. It was like I could, like doing voiceovers, one of the reasons why I really pursued it when I was young is because I realized it was, it's it, like, it's a thing that gives you so much freedom. Interesting. <laughs> because I can, I could do voiceovers remotely when yep. everything was shut down. Yep, yep, yep. So my video production company, like, you know, my partners were like, oh shit, there's no business. 
because you, you couldn't film for like mm. three months. You couldn't yeah. film. But then my voiceovers continued because I could do it from home. Yeah, so like that was okay. That was fine. Um, but yeah, new new levels, new devils. I think one of the new devils that I've faced recently is... Uh, like if... I guess pursuing profits in my previous life when I was like overworked and burning out all the time was a good fire under my ass to keep me going, Mm -hmm. keep me focused on just kind of seeing something through. Yeah. Uh, When you don't have clients on your ass and stuff like that, then that fire is kind of like gone. So I've had to reorientate myself because I I told myself, okay, I want to work on a, on a live set, a live music set. Oh, okay. And do like an audiovisual show and try to develop it and see, see where it can go. Uh, the new devil is actually just like being motivated to to get to work on it. Actually, no, like that's a bad example because the music I found that I don't like. I get up and I'm just thinking about it right away, and I want to do it. Yeah, yeah. But for the other things, like, um, yeah, but the new devil is basically finding the internal fire mm. that is not from some somewhere else. Yeah, not external but internal. But internal, yeah, yeah. And I think if you read uh, the Four Hour Work Week Tim by Tim Ferriss, he says one of the things that you have to deal with once you leave your crazy busy life is you will find yourself in an existential crisis because <laughs> you lack that internal fire. And I think that was the the struggle that that I kind of had over the course of the last couple of months. Like, yeah. But I guess metaphorically throwing yourself into the deep end like that is where you'll find that actually you, however long you might take you will find yourself to be more capable than you actually think you are. Say that again? When you throw yourself metaphorically into the deep end like that, you will find yourself to be more capable than you think you really are. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. I mean, if you you can manage the process well and... However long it will take, Deal with setbacks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so last question. I'm just curious to know how right now in 2020 going to 2021, how would you see and how would you define success? The most important thing to me in life is, is, uh, is freedom to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Obviously it's, it's the definition has a lot more nuance than that, but, but success to me is, is, um, becoming less and less dependent on, kind of other people mm. no wait sorry not not dependent on other people but like less at the mercy of mm. of things that you don't want to do and or, or things that kind of hold no meaning to you and stuff like that so the success that i envision for myself for the rest of my life is to just kind of like be free to do everything that i want to do when i want to do it yeah and and this year has been about trying to figure that out yeah again like i'm very fortunate because you know, I have business partners who are running running these businesses in such a way where everything is delegated so efficiently. Yeah. Uh, voiceovers allow me a lot of free time as well. Mm-hmm. So this year has been about kind of finding the groove to pursue this freedom as we move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And like financial freedom is a big part of that. Of course. Well. Like, without a doubt. Yeah. Like, like I would love to just be like, oh, let's go to Paris tomorrow. Or let's go to, mm. you know, let's go see... Let's go to Naoshima Islands tomorrow, yep. you know, 
Like I would love that. But too. it's about setting that up, right? As we talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. That's for me. That's success. What What is it for you? I want to know. What's success to you? Mm, the fact, to put it bluntly, the fact that I can create what I want, when I want, how I want. That is success. It doesn't tie, and it's mostly from an inner inner perspective, sure. as opposed to relying on any external uh, circumstances, person, anything. So, and it's and it's mostly like a reframing of thing, reframing of how uh, how perhaps someone. It's 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 a constantly changing process that it might even be like a weekly or like a monthly thing. But the the consistent narrative that I have for how I view success is that I can choose to be successful at this very moment. That it is what it is, and everything I do from now is it kind of feeds into to to the idea that I want to create. That's basically it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I get, I kind of feel the same. Yeah. So, thank you for your time. Can you tell us where to find your stuff? Where to find your work? Uh, my musical yeah. project that I just like kind of I'm slowly getting off the ground is, is <laughs> at the moment it's called ape research. I like, I don't know why it's called ape. ape. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like planet of the apes. Wonderful. Like ape research. I was going to call it monkey, but then it was ape, ape sounds better. Ape sounds better. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, yeah. Ape research on Instagram. My personal Instagram is Elias So I'm quite annoying. So be, be, beware. <laughs> <laughs> so? No, I don't know. I just, yeah, I don't know. Gotcha. Yeah, it's just annoying to... I, I feel annoyed with myself when I'm <laughs> posting something about myself. Okay. And then just thinking about it from somebody else's perspective. Go like, why does this guy think he cares? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that pretty much... Uh, yeah, anyways. So, Elias.so, Ape Research. Field Assembly is Field Assembly on Instagram. And my video production company is very crafty. Yeah. very crafty very crafty on Instagram on Instagram as well wonderful yeah. um, thank you for the conversation thank you for your time thank you sir really enjoyed it thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired if you enjoyed what you heard thus far do give us a follow on Instagram and don't forget to share and subscribe stay tuned for the next episode